Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, August the 13th, and we continue to receive the richness of Christ's grace that the author to the Hebrews writes so beautifully, so rich that we have to meditate on it slowly to realize the depth of God's love for you. In chapter 4, the author invites us to, as believers to come near his throne of grace that we may receive mercy in him. And today in chapter 5, the author explains how and why the congregation can approach this throne of grace. As I've said before, you have to go through Hebrews slowly. Dr. Kleinig said it so well in the first chapter. Basically, this is a sermon of a lifetime. So basically, all the years that this preacher or teacher um, wrote sermons and preached, he put them all together into one. That is very deep, very rich, but it so clearly gives us everything in Christ. Well, let's get started. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. Pastor Adel, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Pastor, tell us what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Good Shepherd. Uh, well, we are uh, beginning a new school year next week, so everyone's kind of <laughs> getting ready for that. Our family's getting ready for that. The church and school are getting ready for that. Uh, the high school that we're uh, an association member of uh, began this week, so it's wow. just that time of year. So how many of your kids are in school right now? Uh, this year we will begin five. The oldest is in seventh, and then we've got seven, five, three, one, and then a preschooler. <laughs> Seventh, fifth. Say it again. I want. I want to hear this again. This is good. It, it, it's an odd numbered year. So we got <laughs> seven, five, three, one, and then, uh, and then a, kid, a preschooler. So, a preschooler. Yeah. All right. Just Look at that. Keep in mind. I just have to keep in mind whether it's an odd number year or even. Number year. <laughs> That's yeah. really good. That is really good. Well, God bless you, your bride, um, as you go through that. Reminder to our listeners that. Uh, you know, continuously hear from our pastors what's going on in their families, and it's a call to prayer. Pray for our pastors who come on, because when school starts, I mean, in Minnesota, we don't start till after Labor Day. I mean, this is like people try to fit all whole year of fun into the summer, so they they hold back as long as they can. Um, but whenever that comes, it'll come for us too. It, it, it's a week of. Um, uh, the kids are kind of nuts, right? And and we as parents are kind of nuts. We want to make sure we have everything. And you, you wish the summer wasn't over. I mean, this is how I go through it. So it's a good reminder yep. of the need of prayer. You, you agree, Pastor? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, well, we'll pray for you and the, and the work at Good Shepherd Lutheran School as well. So today as we continue in prayer, Pastor, can you begin our time in prayer as we search the scriptures? Yeah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us today, this day to hear your word, and especially to hear word about your Son, uh, through whom we have access to you in prayer, that we may uh, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
As we look at today's chapter, chapter 5, I want to do this today, Pastor. I'm just going to read all of chapter 5, which is 14 verses, and partly to have it hit our ears and our hearts so that we can come back and hear those words again because it is so rich. Um, I joked with Dr. Kleinig, and I said, you know, maybe I, I don't really need to give my kids a sermon. I can just read to them, like a sermon, Hebrews. And he said something along the lines of, oh, Brady, no. Oh, Brady, no. That's too much at one time. <laughs> so I think it's a reminder for us that we need to slowly go through it. And that's why I want to read the whole chapter and then come back for some of your introductory thoughts this morning. So Hebrews chapter 5, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version as we hear the words from the author to the Hebrews. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes his honor for himself but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. He also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say. It is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. This is chapter 5. And Pastor, as we hear these words, they hit our hearts and our ears, and, and we see Christ clearly. And chapter 5 doesn't happen in a vacuum. So what, what introductory thoughts do you have about what gets us here to help us out? Yeah, well, chapter 4 just ended with this beautiful statement, let, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. And this is a, just a beautiful description of God's reign, God's kingship is that it is one of grace. We usually think, I mean, we obviously don't think about kings, but we know what a king is, and we do think about, uh, we do think about, like, the president. And do you do you think about the president sitting in the Oval Office? Would we call it the Oval Office of Grace? <laughs> I, I don't think that's what comes to mind to us. And yet, because of Christ, since he is our high priest, this is how we are to see that throne. It is a throne of grace, not just of power. I mean, all of that stuff's true. He is all-powerful. He's almighty. He knows all the things. True. But it is a, for us, because of Christ, a throne of grace. 
so that we can obtain mercy, so that we can find grace in our times of need. And one of the things that uh, we see throughout Hebrews is his constant references to the Old Testament. I mean, this, this um, maybe we talked about this mm-hmm. uh, in chapter 1 or 2, but this is the reason we call it the book of the Hebrews is because he leans so heavily on the Old Testament. It's, it's clearly assumed that they have, or at least should have, knowledge of the Old Testament. So he quotes repeatedly from the Old Testament, uh, either prophecies about the Son of God or who he is or what he has done. We have a couple quotes in Psalms, I think, uh, where we have Psalm 2 mm-hmm. and Psalm 110 in this chapter. But if you look at chapters 1 and 2, th- there's quotations all over. But more than even just the direct quotations from the Old Testament, he talks about things like the priesthood, the high priest. He talks about the tabernacle and the temple. He talks about the sacrifices. And he shows how all of this connects to Christ and how all of it points to Christ. And so that's especially one of the things, like you said, you you began the high priest language in chapter 4. In chapter 5, he's going to talk a little bit more about it. And then in 6 and 7, he's going to talk even more about it. But he's going to talk about it in a way that points forward to Jesus being the Christ, who he is, and what he came to do. And as we look at that theme, we come to chapter 5, and it tells us in verse 16 of chapter 4, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. And that really sets us up for this first word, for. Um, any thoughts on that? Because it's it's this is a problem of ending per chapter yeah. because it's kind of a okay now here comes the good stuff all right well uh, good to be with you I'm Brady Finner and we'll see you later um, <laughs> and so any it thoughts? also does it at the end here too yeah it as, as it leads into chapter six obviously that if you're going to break something up by chapters you have to put them somewhere and some of those we might want to place different places but too bad uh, that they were there before we were so <laughs> exactly. we just have to deal with them uh, but yeah he, he is going to talk a little bit about more about uh, the high priesthood of the old testament and what makes jesus similar and what makes him different so already here in these first few books or in these first few verses he talks about what a high priest does and, and what a priest does He's an intercessor. He stands in between man and God. And this means on behalf of man, he offers up gifts and sacrifices to God. On behalf of God, he distributes grace and forgiveness and sometimes judgment to man. And this is what, I mean, this is exactly what you see Moses and Aaron doing in the Old Testament. Moses goes between God and the Israelites. The, the Aaron is a priest, so he offers up sacrifices. You see when they sin that Moses prays to God that he would not destroy them. At the same time, when he comes down the mountain, he speaks to them the words of God. He comes down with the commandments. He comes down with the words of God and tells them, what God wants them to do, what, what, how they are supposed to act, how they are supposed to live. And that we see that in the Old Testament 
imperfectly. Moses and Aaron are not perfect, but Jesus is perfect. And so we talk about typology, right, as being one of the ways that the Old Testament points forward to Jesus, that kings and prophets and priests are types of God. David is a type of God. Uh, the book of Hebrews will also bring out that the, the tabernacle itself, the temple, is a type of Christ. That uh, if you think of Genesis 22 and the sacrifice of Isaac, this is a type foreshadowing of what Christ is coming to do. And yet we always see in the Old Testament that it's not done perfectly. I mean, none of those people in the Old Testament is the Christ. And you even have them pulling their punches, like with the sacrifice of Isaac. I mean, one thing we know at the end of the chapter is Isaac's still alive. He wasn't actually killed. But a substitute was provided by God. Then when you get to the New Testament, you recognize that none of the punches are pulled, and uh, Jesus isn't a type of someone else. He actually is the real thing, and so he is perfect. He is not like Moses or David or any of the prophets before him because he is better than they are. And as they point forward to him, we can learn more about him, and this is where the author is going to go at the end of this chapter, uh, but also once you know that Jesus is the one, once you know he's the key, then you can go back and read the Old Testament the way that the author of the Hebrews does. And say, now what does this tell us about Jesus? And this is what, what Paul points out. This is what removes the veil from our eyes. This is what helps us understand the Scriptures correctly. And this is, this is why some of the New Testament writers will say, listen guys, they were writing for us. They were writing so that we could know more fully who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because all of this is laid out beforehand. Obviously, he lives and does it, and we're witnesses to that. But if you want to know more, uh, you go you go to Bible study. You go back to the Bible. You read more about him. And that's why we're doing what we're doing here, is to go back exactly, yeah. and uncover those <laughs> gems and riches that are there. So here's here's what I want to do. I want to go just a few verses at a time, actually starting out with just verse 1, because I think it's important for us to get a feel and a taste for the high priest, what this means, mm-hmm. and what distinguishes, as you said, a type of Christ, but clearly not Christ, and how we are to look at that from the Old Testament. Because I will say this, the Old Testament and sacrifices is incredibly confusing. <laughs> It's like, okay, so wait a second. What is that sacrifice for? And, and uh, you know, I've, I've been trying to research it. Pastor Adel is a smart dude. He, he knows a lot of this stuff, so we're going to try to do it together. And I invite you, our listeners, if there's any insights you have, too, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, about sacrifices because there's always more to learn. So verse 1, as we hear about a high priest and how that relates to God. Verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, I, I just wanted to go through that real quick. There's a lot of terms here that are helpful to distinguish. And I want, I want you to, to you know, answer what you have prepared for today, Pastor. But we have things like high priest, 
we have the gifts and sacrifices and four sins. All those words, I don't want you to define every word, but all that can be confusing how you look at it. How would you unpack that when someone asks you about verse 1 and the high priest and all those thoughts and terms? Yeah, so I, I mean, that we see repeatedly that God is a God of order and that he already in Genesis 3, right, you, you have Adam and Eve sinning and therefore this changing, altering their relationship to God. And remember that they had tried to cover their shame with fig leaves, which is a, a, a pathetic, I mean, just pathetic when you think about it. At the end of that chapter, you have God covering them with skin. So sacrifice has to take place to cover us and our shame. Later on, when you, when you have uh, the Exodus and God talking through Moses to the people about how he is to be approached, you have sacrifices. And that uh, no one approaches without blood, I think, is one of the things that the mm-hmm. author of the Hebrews will say later on, is that something has to happen in order to restore our relationship with God. And you're right, there are, there are multiple kinds of sacrifice and offering in the Old Testament, but all of them get at atonement, at the covering of sins. All of them get at making peace between God and men. All of them get at reconciliation, right? When when two sides are at odds with, with each other, they need to be reconciled. And all of the Old Testament sacrifices point to these things. And then after after the sacrifice has been done, this is what the priest proclaims, right? So you have the Day of Atonement, or you have sin offerings, or you have peace offerings. All of these are ways at speaking about how God's relationship to us gets restored. And one of the things that the author of the Hebrews points out is that the Old Testament sacrifices had to be done over and over again. One, because we sin over and over again. The two, because what they were offering is bulls and goats and sheep. And we recognize, God and God himself says multiple times, that that is not going to do it. But it does point forward to what we really need is a perfect sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for humans that would just cover everything for all time, and it can be done with. And, I mean, as Christians, even even without reading through the rest of the book, we know that he's going to talk about Christ's death on the cross being that perfect sacrifice that covers all sins of all time, he died once, he died for all, and because of that, he is the perfect high priest. There's never going to be another that's higher than him, and furthermore, this is why we don't need animal sacrifices anymore, because the perfect sacrifice has taken place. So no more sacrifices, no more priesthood in, in that sense, in the sense of offering up sacrifices. But instead now, uh, the people who have been redeemed by Christ, act as, in some way, I mean, the the, the New Testament talks about them being a priesthood of of all believers, that we ourselves, as he said at the end of chapter 4, have access to the throne of God. We can approach him in prayer. We don't need to go through other people because, because of Christ. We go through Christ. 
And and likewise, uh, since Christ has offered that perfect sacrifice, we ourselves relay that to those who are around us. We relay that to our family, our children, our neighbors, uh, and, and act as a, uh, a priest in that way, too. And it's, it's interesting to look at the high priest and that he says it very clearly. He acted on behalf of men in relation to God. And that language is very intentional because he could just say, for every high priest, you know, just offers gifts and sacrifices for sins. But he's definitely showing the distinction. And he does this with, you know, Jesus is greater than Moses. He does a lot of comparison. Um, yeah. And and like you said, that it's clear that he's speaking to Hebrew believers. Not only does it quote the Old Testament 35 times, but he's using the exact language and the names and the people that an Old Testament, a person who knows the Old Testament would, would have. It's very similar to, um, obviously not the same, but it's very similar to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, quotes the Old Testament yeah. all the time. And I, yeah. I love how it, it starts off right there not downgrading high priests as they were irrelevant or crazy or not not with it, but he shows their relationship to God, what was needed then. And then you can feel, you almost feel like the other shoe's going to drop here and say, okay, therefore, it's going to, I mean, this whole chapter could be therefore, 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 if you wanted to. Um, <laughs> but any other, any other thoughts on the language in verse 1? No, I mean, verse 1, clearly he's talking about on behalf of men in relation to God. Verse 2, he's going to talk about, I mean, God's relationship to men. Well, let's get to it then. Verses 2 and 3. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So I wanted to stop there because, once again, the language is so rich. Um, how, does he de- how does he define the high priest here? How does he speak about him? <laughs> he speaks about him as one who is beset with weakness, <laughs> right? As someone who is ignorant and wayward <laughs> and a sinner. <laughs> always in the Old Testament, you're dealing with, I mean, outside of Christ, not just the Old Testament, but all time, you're dealing with sinners. And so this is one of the ways he says that Old Testament priests, or even Old Testament high priests, this is one of the ways that they can deal gently with other people who are ignorant and wayward, in other words, sinners, is because they should recognize that they themselves are that way. And this is one of the fascinating things, then, in this comparison to Christ, is that uh, well, you'd already seen it in chapter two when he, when he's kind of emphasizing Christ's humanity. That one of the remarkable things about the true God is just how personable and gracious He is to sinners. He is not aloof. He's not far off. And you you would think that. If anything, he, he wouldn't want to have anything to do with us because we are ignorant, wayward sinners. But Christ, uh, even, even though he doesn't have the weaknesses that the Old Testament high priest did, nevertheless, he is going to come and deal gently and graciously with us. 
And this is clearly one of the ways in which the Christian God is far different from all of the other gods, is that he is gracious to sinners, to the people who have gone astray, gone wayward, ignorant, uh, even willfully ignorant at times. Nevertheless, he comes to us graciously. And it, 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 to me, it was a part of this, of a call of repentance. And, and I think it's slight, but when he says, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness, is a call to me as a Christian, let alone as a pastor, that I should understand and be patient with people because I know what sin is like. <laughs> and I yep. should know of my own weaknesses and then therefore be compassionate to those who have weaknesses as well, even if it's not the same. So I really felt the weight of that when I read this. Correct. You know, and 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 once again, the author invites us into the story in a in a wonderful way, not only of the high priest showing us and teaching, but also invites us in there and says, Hey, by the way, you're the mm-hmm. ignorant and wayward. By the way, you're yep. the weak, and the work is done. The work is done as he continues on. Yep. Um, any other thoughts yep. on those verses, Pastor? No, I mean, like, like you said, this, this does teach us, as you said, how we are to deal with other sinners. Now, obviously, sin offends God, sin offends Christ, sin offends pastors and, and, and the priests of the Old Testament. And this is not, this is not an excuse for sin, but we also recognize that even in spite of the offense of those sins, God has dealt gently and graciously with us, and that we should be, in many ways, of the same mind towards those who are sinful against us. I mean, this is this is what Christ gets at when he's talking about the Lord's Prayer. We also have to forgive sins. It's just something that Christians have to do, uh, and we see already that action in Christ our Lord. As it says last week in our uh, well, in the three-year lectionary, the the book, uh, the the reading from Ephesians, you know, be kind, tender-hearted, and forgive uh-huh. as Christ has forgiven you. And that is uh, yeah. another another one that kind of nails you to the ground a little bit. Um, <laughs> but yep. verse verse yep. four. Uh, before we get to our break, I want to read verse four and talk about that a little bit, as we have about two minutes left. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So he, so he kind of rails on, on, not rails, but he shows the reality of the high priest. But what was their main purpose? Like when they did their work, what was the purpose of their work? Uh, their purpose was to stand in and offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. Mm-hmm. So that was their work. They interceded between sinners and a holy God. And and one of the things he gets at here in verse 4 then is that's not a job that just anyone could apply for. And it's not a job that you could do e- even just if you wanted to or thought you had what it takes. It's not how it works. God is holy. He gets to choose who does what in regards to their, our relationship to him. And priesthood was marked out Specifically, not only from a specific tribe, but from a specific family of a tribe. And even then, there were more distinctions about who could or could not serve. Mm. 
No one gets to do it just because they want to do it. God chooses. And this is uh, something that, I mean, if you want to kind of r- relay it more, relate it more broadly to the culture around us, this type of thing drives the culture nuts. To, 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 to say that there's a God who is in charge and he can say what people can or cannot do, that's simply offensive to us. It's offensive to us in the sense of the commandments, but it's also offensive to us when we say that certain people can have certain vocations and other people cannot. And it has nothing to do with your feelings. It has nothing to do with your skills. It simply has to do with the way that God orders things because he wants to. For whatever reason he has in mind, sometimes he tells us those reasons, sometimes he doesn't. But here he says in regard to the priesthood, no, you can't just pick it. You, you have to be chosen, you have to be called by God. And that drives people nuts. But, I mean, the author of the Hebrews just lays it out. This is the way God works. At least in this, at least in this instance, this is the way he works. No one can be a priest unless they've been called by God. And the beautiful language that he uses is he pulls us back to Christ. Because right now we could spend all day just talking about, okay, what's a high priest? What does this mean? How does that relate to us? Uh-huh. But he doesn't do that. Yep. He quickly points Correct. us to Christ. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Hebrews chapter 5 with Pastor Scott Adel, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying Hebrews chapter 5 as we slowly have gotten through the first four verses. We've got a a very good rundown of, of what a high priest was what he would do. It was a very important position um, in those days, called by God um, in, let's see now, how does it say, on behalf of humankind in relation to God. So there's a clear order, as Pastor Adel said so well, of saying, this is who you are, this is who God is. And what strikes, what struck me a little bit before I want to move on here, Pastor, is there's a, it talks about forgiveness in the Old Testament. And I, by no means would I say anybody would say, oh, there's no forgiveness. It's just all damnation. And then forgiveness finally comes after Jesus. But it is quite striking when you think about it, let it sink in a little bit, is this gift of forgiveness that the Lord gave. I mean, you even referenced uh, the sacrifice that was needed for Adam and Eve to be able to cover their shame, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was a very a good, a wonderful connection you made. And so why is it important for us to know that there was forgiveness even in the Old Testament? I mean, we recognize that this is the only way the relationship can be restored. Mm. I'm, you can talk in regular human relationships uh, when, when people are at odds with each other. It could be because one person did something wrong or the other person did something wrong or 
you know, some combination thereof. But in relationship to God, he's never the one who did wrong. We are the ones who have done wrong. And so the, the only way that relationship can be fixed is a, is a move from his side. We can't do anything. We're already in the wrong. So it, it's going to take a move from his side, and it's going to have to be somehow dealing with sin. And the, the way that he does this is through sacrifice and forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there, is, there can be no good relationship to God. It has to happen. Something has to happen in order that that relationship can be restored. We can be reconciled. We can go on. You get this. You get it in the Old Testament too. Not just in relation to the sacrifices, but I mean, this is kind of one of the main main points of the book of Hosea when when he talks about Hosea's wife being unfaithful and the, the people of Israel being unfaithful to God. The move then has to come from Hosea. He is the one that has to go and restore that relationship because the, the woman can't. She's in the wrong. Likewise, the Israelites can't. They're in the wrong. God has to be the one who makes that move. And this, this is why forgiveness is so important. And it is in the Old Testament all over the place. It's obviously all over the place in the New Testament, too. I love it. I love it. it it's just such a great reminder of all of Scripture being interconnected, and that's why I love doing Hebrews. I mean, this is just a just a real fun ride. So I, let's let's keep let's keep going on this. Well, I would say it's not even a, a roller coaster because there's parts of of uh, of roller coasters I despise. I'm not despising any of this. This is all great. So verses five and six, five and six. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him. You are my son, today I have begotten you. He also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Pastor, as we look at this, there's a few words that can come up that can kind of throw us for a loop. First of all, we're going to talk about Melchizedek, but I do know that in a few days with Pastor Waffle, we will be a, we will be um, really digging into Melchizedek. So I wanted to touch on it, but I don't want you to do your normal thesis on everything that you do. No, it's kidding. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But that's that's a good one for us to dig into, but make sure that we save it because it's even better in chapter 7. But it's interesting yeah. language here where it talks about that he didn't exalt himself, okay, was appointed by someone else. And then you can kind of sit there and think, well, wait a second, Jesus is God. Couldn't he appoint himself? Um, how does this relationship with God, uh, the God the Father and God the Son, and then he quotes the Old Testament, some of that I know it can be very confusing. How would you address that type of question? Yeah, that, uh, well, I mean, Philippians 2 says, though he was equal with God, he did not count that equality something to grasp or, or held onto, right, or held up as, as right, justification for, for being or doing what he does, but he he submits. He makes himself low. He humiliates himself, and that he humbles himself to take on flesh, to die, even by dying on a cross. And uh, I think you talked about the three lectionary. I mean, the, the the reading just this last week too was I, I came not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Mm. So this is part of Christ's humility, in that He He is not one who exalts Himself but rather he submits to the Father's will. And that 
Well, the, the other pastor worship, Pastor Walter, who's been on the show before uh, a while back, but he pointed out when we were going through the miracle stories, notice how none of the miracles are done to help Jesus. They're not done to make his life easier. They are done to help other people, but also to help them understand who he is and what he does. But none of them make his life easier, especially. I mean, the, the, the healings and this kind of thing. I guess maybe you could say that walking on water might, possibly. But uh, regardless, most of them are done for the sake of others, either to help their needs or to help them understand who he is. Likewise here, he says he's going to get to the Christ being a high priest. And this is, like I said, we, we won't go into it. You'll go into it more fully uh, in the next couple of days. But he points out that even here, Christ didn't exalt himself, but the Father is the one who exalts him and appoints him to be high priest. And like as you were talking earlier, well, everyone who knows the Old Testament even a little bit knows that priests can only come, at least Jewish priests can only come from one tribe and one family. And he's going to have to make this move then. So how can Christ be a high priest? Because he's not from the tribe of Levi. He's not from Aaron's family. He's from the tribe of Judah. So how could he be a high priest? And that's where he's going to get into the Melchizedek stuff. Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's phenomenal as I've been reading this. Like I said, it's not a roller coaster. It's a, it's just a, it's a thrill ride at every turn. Um, because it shows us the mystery of the submission of Christ to the will of the Father. And you said that beautifully. You're exactly right. That was as part of our reading on Sunday. Um, and then it uses language, you are my son today, I've begotten you, where the Father says, you are my son, and, and you're in. I mean, this is what you're going to be doing. And he does it for the sake of others, like all the miracles he does. Um, for the sake of doing the Father's will, which shows us that clearly we know that the high priests of those days were weak, ignorant, and wayward. But this high priest, he's proving <laughs> that he is the high priest. And so it goes back yep. to the greater Moses language. You know, clearly Moses is going to be making the promised land. This is, I mean, this is... We want to be following Jesus because Moses couldn't even get into the promised land. But Jesus Correct. does it perfectly. So any other thoughts and on I, those I verses think, 5 and 6? Yeah, I, I think you actually hit on something that's important to the author of the Hebrews is at that time, there still is a high priest in Jerusalem. There still is a temple in Jerusalem. There still are sacrifices going on. In Jerusalem and as you point out he's just kind of going to pull the rug out from all of those things as this as this letter progresses he's gonna say well yeah sure there's a high priest he is ignorant and wayward we have a better one sure there's a yeah there's a temple I mean yeah there are sacrifices going on still every day if you're talking about that old temple in Jerusalem <laughs> But we have a high priest that enters into a temple not made with hands, like a better one, the one in the heavens. And I think this is another thing that the author of the Hebrews is getting at, is clearly this comparison between 
what is still going on in Jerusalem versus what has happened in Jesus Christ and why they shouldn't be jealous or why they shouldn't look back to that because you have something that's bigger and better and more impressive and more glorious in Christ. But this, this is just one of those things that goes on in the New Testament times is these people who grew up Jewish and then want to hear the message of Christ and want to be kind of Christian but at the same time still want to do the Jewish thing and then want to force everyone else to do the Jewish thing too. And Paul says, nope, you can't do it that way. The, the Council in Jerusalem, Acts 15, says, nope, you can't do it that way. Letter to the Hebrews also says the same thing. No, 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 you can't, you can't do that. You cannot go back. All these things point forward. There's no going back. And that's interesting. I, it's, it's been fun in Hebrews too because there's, there's that reality of faith that don't go back. I mean, we started with, um, we, we were studying Galatians, you know, when we started, when I started uh, doing thy strong word, and, and it was it was a constant theme. Don't go back. Like, don't go back to try to redo grace. No, the grace is there, so therefore you don't have to go mm-hmm. back. Um, the same time, as Christians, I mean, this is not a one-to-one, but as Christians, we can always go back when you read the Bible because you can go back and then you re-see that grace. You know, it's not a matter of going Correct. back to try to follow the laws, but you go back, all of a sudden, Dr. Rowald at seminary would say, oh, the dab of grace, gentlemen, the dab of grace. <laughs> he would say, and that reminds me of this. We can go back in the scriptures to see the grace of God throughout everything as opposed to going back and seeing nothing but the law that we have to follow, but we see the grace that the Lord gives. Yeah, I, I think you're right. We go back to learn more about Christ, but we don't go back to the old system and the old priesthood and the old temple and the old sacrifices. All of that stuff pointed to Christ or you understood them incorrectly. So you're right. There, there's a way that we go back in order to study it and to see that it was pointing to Christ. And, and through the Old Testament, then you always see that the point, the plan, has always been to unite all things in Jesus Christ. That's always been the plan, from Genesis through, I guess, Malachi, if you're talking Old Testament. Right. But it's always been the plan. But the plan has never been, we're going to do this for a while, then Christ is going to come, and then we're going to go back to doing the old stuff again. He says, no, 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 you can't, that's, that's a wrong way of going back. And so what I want to do is I want us to touch on um, Melchizedek, after these next two verses. But then he says another weird language. You know, we've already talked about the submission of Christ, which is hard to understand, but you explained that very well. Um, and it's a mystery, but also true, because we see it very clearly in Scripture. But here he uses a word called Jesus being obedient, that he learned obedience. So it's kind of an interesting language. I want to hear your thoughts about it. Verses 8 and 9. Although yeah, he you, was... Uh... Okay, I'm going to keep reading here. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So I I, I want to just ask you straight up. When it says he learned obedience, that kind of hits the ears a little weird. He's Jesus. How could he learn anything? anything what what's this <laughs> obedience piece you know all that or being made perfect how would you describe that to somebody 
that uh, he doesn't have to learn obedience in that in the sense that he was doing wrong and had to be corrected. Rather, I, I think it means he learns obedience in that he grows. And since he was man, he learns things. And one of the things he learns is obedience. Not, as I said, because he was doing wrong and they had to correct him, but rather he just learns as he grows, as every human does. The, I, I think it's the Gospel of Luke that gets at this when it says, uh, he grew in wisdom, stature, wisdom and stature uh, in favor with, God, with man and with God. It says that the Father uh, favors him more and more as he grows, and as the Father sees this, it pleases him more and more. Mm. And my children are still on the young side. But there is something pleasing to a parent when, when you see your children growing and, and eventually start to do more and more, and you see them doing it correctly, that, that brings joy to your heart. And that uh, even small things, even, even things like when you go to a restaurant and they order for themselves, it's not a big thing, right? but when, when it's the first time, you're like, well, they're growing up. This is excellent, right? Or, or or any of these smaller things that when they do it, they've learned it in the sense that they've seen you do it before, and so they learn it that way. But also, uh, they grow in favor with you as well. And it, it wasn't because they were, they were not ordering correctly before or anything like this, but just as they grow, they grow and learn and do more and more. And this says, that Christ learned that through what he suffered. That it's, it's not just that he learns happy things, and because he's always been perfect, that he gets to go <laughs> from rainbows and kisses and unicorns and all that. No, he, he learned through suffering, and that this is what makes him complete or perfect. And this is, this is what shocks all of the disciples, certainly. It's also what shocks the rest of the Jewish nation when, when they find out that he is the Christ. This is what he is mocked for on the cross, is exactly for his suffering. And yet this is when he humbles himself the most. And this is when he accomplishes our salvation. As it says here, too, it says, he, and these are very powerful words in verse 9, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So this is a really, uh, to me, like another John three sixteen for for God so loved the world that he gave his only son kind of language. Where basically, if you're wondering uh, where the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is, they make it very clear is this guy <laughs> that he is the source <laughs> of eternal salvation to all, especially uh, those in faith. Who believe in this, and so it's really interesting to me that it's kind of a, it's very much so a gem right in the middle of this very clear language that we can hold on to as Christians when we wonder and fear about this whole salvation narrative. So, any thoughts on that? No, I mean you're, you're the the part was right that, that he learned obedience, and that therefore we have to too, and it's not obedience that. Uh, makes him love us 
for that somehow gets him to save us. All that, as you said, all that's already done. He's already the source of eternal salvation, and we were already sinners. We weren't obeying him when he came to do that. And as you said before, he he is gracious to us, even though we are ignorant and wayward and sinful. Uh, But there is at the same time the point that he's the source of our salvation. We follow, we listen, we obey him, and that we will learn through this following and also through even suffering. And so then we get to Melchizedek. Like I said, I don't want to get into it too much, but yeah. it is good for us to touch on is he says it twice. One from Psalm, yep. you know, from the Psalm uh, 110 mm-hmm. verse 4, and then here Melchizedek. Now, already having his name said twice is more significant than the small amount that he's mentioned in Genesis. <laughs> but but can you tell us sure. anything about Melchizedek and, and, and why he's being used here? Well, yeah, I, I, I will leave the major stuff uh, for you guys to do later. But he, he's already hitting on the point here that Jesus is a high priest. And any Jew would know he can't be because he's from the tribe of Judah. Therefore, he's ruled out of the high, uh, he's ruled out of priesthood. Right. And often the Hebrew says, no, 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 no. He's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And that would make them say, well, what do you, what are you talking about? I mean, like you said, well, go look up Genesis. What's it say about Melchizedek? It says he's a priest of the Most High God. But but he's not a Levite. He's not from the tribe of Aaron. Correct. So there can be other priests, and are, other priests of the Most High God. Who, who, it, it doesn't only come after Aaron. I mean, there were believers before Aaron. There were sacrifices and priests before Aaron. And he just simply says, this is where Jesus' priesthood comes from. It comes from that order, not the order of Aaron. And so if you want to know how he became a high priest, even though he's not from the tribe of Levi, it's because he's not of that high priesthood. He's from a different high priesthood. Melchizedek's fine. And this is why, for all those who are, you know, starting a family, having children, Melchizedek is a great name. I mean, just think about the opportunities to teach all the time. I should have thought of it myself. But anyways, um, and it, it, Melchizedek is a very important figure, although he's very insignificant as far as the amount of verses, which is another reminder that in Scripture, it's not about does it have more verses than anything else? Because, you know, when Jesus says it is finished, those are only a few words. But the significance yep. is about how God points us to Christ and the work on the cross. Yep, so one word in Greek. Yeah. yeah, right. One word. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one word in Greek. So um, let's continue to move forward. We have about five minutes, and I want to get through the rest of these verses. And beware uh, for all of you who are uh, regular listeners is that when we get to Hebrews chapter seven, which would be let's see here Tuesday, um, pay attention because we will really hit Melchizedek hard on that day. So let's continue through chapter 5, 11 through 14. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. 
So as you said before, Pastor, that we kind of end here a little bit on the cliff where the other shoe needs to drop. However, I think it's a good, we've received the solid food, verses 1 through 10, and now he's really calling them to task about their dull hearing. Why is this important for us? I mean, I get hit by these words as well. What is he saying and why is this important to us? Well, this is, uh, I mean, if you go on just the next few verses of the next chapter, he said, listen, you guys have been catechized. You guys have been taught. You, you've been to church. So, he, so the things that he's talked about already up to this point is Jesus is God. Jesus is man. He came to defeat the devil and, and atone for our sins. Those kind of things, you can't get, in order to be a Christian, you, you, you can't get around those things. Every Everyone has to know those things uh, and and yet what he's going to say is but there's more to learn and and to just hear those basic truths which are basic and fantastic and good but those should kind of uh impel you to want to hear more about jesus and what he has done for us rather than get you to say okay 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 i i, I know the basics whatever i, I don't want to hear anymore and he says that that's the wrong attitude to have. He, he says that stuff is good. It's great. Obviously, everything is built upon that foundation, but there is more stuff built upon it. So let's look at that. And it it is uh, it is just one of these things that if it's a sermon and said this way, it it would I think just make the readers pay attention more because they say, well, well hold on, I, I'm not dull of hearing. I, I want to hear what you have to say. And it gets you to lean forward and uh, blink your eyes a couple times and say, okay, I, no, I, I wasn't tuning out. Who are you looking at? Not me. It's just a nice thing that, that makes you sit up and take notice, right? He, he, he says that you can't just fall back into, yeah, 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 I know it all. You don't have to teach me anything anymore. He says, there's a, there's a lot more here. The Old Testament is pretty large, and we can talk about all sorts of things. And, and when we do, we will learn more about Christ, and these are important things to know. And so, Pastor, as we look at this chapter, we have about a minute and a half left. There's a lot here, but there's also a common thread through it all. How would you summarize this chapter for someone when they ask? Well, I, I would summarize, you see this going back and forth throughout the whole book. It's just the greatness and the magnificence and the graciousness of what Christ has done. And he, he balances it against the fact that the culture and our own sinful minds and flesh want to pull us away from this. And so he, he goes back and forth from emphasizing the greatness of what Christ has done and who he is as well as telling us, since this is so great, you, you do not want to follow it. You do not want to turn your back on this. You do not want to become dull of hearing. So don't. Listen up. Pay attention. This is good stuff. And you see that in Chapter 5 as well as you see it over and over throughout the whole book, actually. I love that you said that. Don't do that. <laughs> Just don't do that. Mm -hmm. Problem solved, you know. But the focus is always back on Christ. Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, giving us the richness of God's grace from Hebrews chapter 5. 
Pastor Adel, thank you again for being our guest. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Saints of our Lord, he says it so well. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is the final sacrifice. He was appointed to this work. He is the one who has done it all with loud cries and tears. We're able to know that we are saved as our Lord has done this all for us. Don't don't walk away from this. Don't be dull of hearing. It is yours. It is free. And it is gracious. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.